Welcome to The Portable Pastor, a podcast of relevant biblical teaching, linking ancient truth with today's challenges. Each week, Pastor Mike will share God's Word to help you and remind you that God is pro-you. So download the outline from fbcclover.life and get ready to hear today's teaching. Here's Pastor Mike. Well, hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in again to the podcast. This is Mike Stafford, the Portable Pastor, and I want to bring you another teaching from God's Word today. If you would take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 4, we're going to look at just the first four verses of Matthew chapter 4. I want to begin a three-week look at the temptations of Jesus that he successfully overcame while in the wilderness after being baptized by John. This week, we'll look at the temptation to commit the sin of lust of the flesh. Now, next week, Greg's going to lead and teach us to examine Jesus' response to being tempted with the sin of pride. And then the following week, the last week, I'll come back and teach on Jesus' response to being tempted with lust of the eyes. But before we looked at today's passage, I feel the need to explain the progression of sin. We need to really understand this. So hold your thumb right there on that Matthew passage and turn over to James chapter 1. We're going to look at James chapter 1 verse 13. We do need to understand this, this cause of temptation, so that we can fully understand what Christ overcame. All right? So James chapter 1, 13 through 15 says this, "Let Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth or brings forth death. When we, when we read this in James, that that you know God tempts no one and that he cannot be tempted with evil and then we read in this Matthew passage here in just a second that Jesus was tempted by the devil it it sounds contradictory and i need to explain to you that this is it's not contradictory in fact it's complementary to the truth so let's look at the progression of sin in James first there's a truth that 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 someone is is put into a situation to be tested by God. Now, this happens quite a bit. God may put you into a test to allow you to succeed with a new strength or a new value. And in those testing situations, there's a there's a chance that that you'll be tempted to disobey and sin, and and that actually might happen. But that that's built into the privilege of having free will. So so you're you're in a test. God wants you to succeed. He's given you everything you need to succeed. Temptation doesn't occur at first, okay? Because God's not the one tempting you. He does not want you to fail. Temptation occurs when an evil desire comes into play with with the intention of causing you to disobey and, and to sin. But but sin's not occurred yet. When that desire takes hold and it forces you to ponder and behave in a certain way, then it becomes sin. And when sin occurs, death is earned. What's Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is death. Well, that's the progression that is explained by James from being placed into a test by God and it resulting in sin. So let's look at a hypothetical situation before we look at the temptation of Jesus. 
Let's say you're hiking a trail and you find a bag full of $100 bills. All right, you're you're in a, a testing situation. This moment is a test of your morality. Will you do the right thing? Will you turn it in? This is just a simple test that God's placed on you. Will you choose rightly? And instead of taking it to the park ranger or the police, immediately you you sit down for a moment and you begin to think about all that you could do with that money. Your, your desire to keep it and spend it enters into the situation. Now, God did not put that desire there. You did. Now, now you're in a full-blown temptation because your evil desire has caused you to consider an alternative to turning in, to turning in that money. This is a temptation, but, but not yet sin. You've not acted on that desire yet. So let's say you, you pick up uh, the money and you, you put it in your backpack and you're headed towards your car and you get in your car and you drive towards the entrance of the park and you, you see the ranger station on the right and you slow down like you're gonna, you're gonna turn in there. But then at the last moment, you, you, you think about it and you say, no, I'm keeping it. And you drive on and you pass the station, you leave the park. Now your temptation to disobey God has been fully realized. You have just sinned. In reality, you, you failed twice. First, you failed the test by God by not doing what's right and doing it immediately. Then you failed morally by allowing your evil desires to override your spirit when, when you made that wrong choice. So do you, do you see the progression of sin? Sin happens not when you were tempted, but when you act upon your evil desires in that situation. Here's the truth. God's never going to put you into a situation to watch you fail uh, you know, fail morally. How, however, God, He will test you by put you, putting you into a situation to see if you will make the right choice. Uh, an, an evil desire is the culprit that tempts you to sin in, in one of those situations by, by acting on it. That is why God cannot be tempted by evil. He does not have evil desire. That's why He tempts no one. He doesn't desire to see any man sin. So this is the reason we're told in 1 Corinthians 10... 13, no temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. He he has no desire. God has no desire for you to fail. He wants you to choose rightly every single time. Now, back to the passage in Matthew chapter 4. All right, follow along as I read those first four verses. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now put this passage into the progression of sin that we read about in James chapter 1. So according to verse 1, who placed Jesus in this situation? It was the Spirit. The Spirit placed Jesus in the situation so that he could be tested. He placed Job into a situation to test him. He placed Abraham into a situation to test him. And he placed Jesus into this situation to test him. Now according to verse 1, who tempted Jesus? Well, the devil, the devil tempted Jesus, not God. 
God did not bring up evil desire. The devil did. At that point of temptation, was Jesus sinning? No. No. No evil desire has caused him to act against God. Now, was he tempted? You better believe he sure was. He was hungry. He was tempted. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're probably thinking, I thought God could not be tempted. Isn't Jesus God? Yes, he is. But he's also fully man. His humanity was tempted. He was starving. Did he act on that temptation? No, he he didn't. Instead, what happened? Jesus answered immediately with the word of God. Jesus reiterated Deuteronomy chapter 8. It says, It is written, Man shall not be shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Was Jesus tried by God in this situation? Yeah. Yeah. And was he he tempted by the evil desires of the devil? Yeah, he he was hungry, but he did not sin. He dealt with the temptation immediately and overcame the evil desires that were pushed on him by the devil. Now, what was that evil desire? Okay, hold your thumb right there again. Turn over to 1 John chapter 2. You, you got to see this, this passage over in 1 John. It's really, really outstanding. All right, listen. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. John tells us that all sin falls into one of three categories. Okay, there's lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Therefore, all temptation to sin comes from evil desires that cause us to ponder and to act upon lust in our flesh, or lust in our eyes, or the pride of life. All right, now turn back to Matthew chapter 4. Now, you got to follow along with me. This this is really good if you'll catch it. Okay, let's reread verses 2 and 3. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. So was the temptation for Jesus to be proud? No, not really. Was the temptation tied to what he saw? No, there was no bread there. God's Spirit had led Jesus to fast. Remember, he was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights after being led into the wilderness by the Spirit. Jesus had to become physically weak to face temptation at the lowest, um, the lowest level of humanity to identify with us. So Jesus became extremely hungry and he was tempted to gratify his own flesh after God's Spirit had led him to do this fast. Now, that desire came from the fact that he he had flesh. The desire was not sin. His body was hungry. God created humans with the desire for food. Eating is good. It's not sin. But remember, we are born with a sinful nature and we desire to appease it regardless of, of God's law. Now, when fleshly desire overrules our spirit, and it overrules God's word, it causes us to sin, to embrace unrighteousness. It becomes lust. So hunger, the lust for food, can lead us to sin. Out of hunger, people steal, don't they? And they overeat. Putting ourselves in Jesus' sandals, hunger hunger should have caused us all to go look for food if we were right there in that moment. But the desire for food was against what God told Jesus to do at that moment. If Jesus gave in, he would have been guilty of lust of the flesh. Jesus was tempted at the 
at the pressure point of hunger, but he overcame it with the word of God. He passed his test by God and he sidestepped the desire uh, introduced by the devil to sin by quoting the word of God. Now, now let me make some obvious points here, okay? First is this. The best place to be is where the Holy Spirit has led you. Hands down, the best place to be is where the Holy Spirit has led has has led you. Have you ever seen that carnival act where where someone's throwing knives at a person standing in front of a board? The the knife thrower positions that person right where he wants them and then he turns and wows the crowd by throwing knives and sticking them into the board precisely around the arms and the legs, even the head of that that willing uh, volunteer. And then that thrower, will, he'll do something even more amazing. He'll, he'll do the same thing, but blindfolded. He's trained himself to throw to a certain spot on that board. Now, if that volunteer moves, the knife thrower is going to hit him. The best spot for him to be, for that volunteer to be, is right where the thrower placed him. Likewise, the, the best spot to be is where the Holy Spirit has led you. No, he's not going to throw stuff at you to harm you, but he has placed, he's prepared you and put you in a place for you to live in harmony with God, where you can be successful in your, in your Christian walk. That is the absolute best place to be. Not necessarily the most easy, the easiest place, but is definitely the best place. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And the spirit was good, but the wilderness not so much. Mark's gospel says there were wild animals there that could have killed him. There were there were no people, no shelter. He, he was in a dangerous place. But since the Holy Spirit led him there, it was the best place for him to be. I mean, think about it. It was there that he identified with the weaknesses of man. It was there that he proved that man could overcome temptation. It it was in that wilderness that he passed his test and then the angels tended to him. The wilderness was, was the best place that he could have been. And you may feel like God has placed you in in a dangerous wilderness-like situation and he might have. He may have indeed placed you in a, in a dangerous, in a dangerous place, but maybe it was your sin that landed you there. Maybe it was the case that God wants you there. I, I, I know you hate it and you want to leave, but he has the right to put you where he wants you. If he puts you in a dark place, the best you can do is shine for him. If he puts you in a hard place, the best you can do is depend and lean on him. It's not easy. We weren't promised it was going to be easy, but it will be the best place for you if God placed you there. A second point that's obvious, at least to the Christian, is that the best the devil can do is attack you at your pressure points. That's that's what he does. I mean, think about it. Jesus had not eaten in 40 days. He was weak. He was hungry. And the devil knew this and knew that Jesus, if he were to break, it would be in this area, this area of food. It was his pressure point. Look, fire... Fighter, firefighters, uh, no, not firefighters, like uh, in um, those those fighters in the ring and and lawmen and peacekeepers, they're all taught to use pressure points on the human body. One of them's right behind your ear, another one's on the shoulder bone, another one's on the inside of your bicep. If you get hit on one of those points, I don't know if you've ever had that experience, but it'll. It'll temporarily paralyze you. 
And they do that on purpose so that, that they can overtake their opponent or overtake the criminal. It's a common use of pressure points. Look, the devil knows your spiritual pressure points. If if you have a vulnerable um, patience level, he's going to attack you there. If, if you have a, a self-gratification addiction, he's going to attack you there. He will attack your weaknesses in order to pause your spiritual strength and overtake you and hopefully cause you to sin. The best things you can do to protect yourself in those areas of weakness is to ask God to make them less weak and then to cover them with spiritual armor until he does. You should pray. Uh, maybe this is it. I, I am weakest in the area of addiction, God. Please make my spirit stronger than my flesh and keep the evil one off of me until I get stronger. This is why Jesus prayed, deliver us from the evil one. So we ask him to protect our pressure points while he makes them less vulnerable. A third point I would like to make is that the best defense against temptation is God's word. God's word. What what was Jesus's response to those tem- those temptations? We read about one of them today, but even the other two. What was his response? He quoted scripture. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is straight from from Old Testament scripture. Jesus knew the scriptures. Of course he knew the scriptures. He inspired men to write them. He is God. And he chose to use scripture to fight temptation. And if he did that, maybe we should too. When tempted to punch that lady who took your parking place after waiting five minutes for that car to pull out, and and the other person pulled in, you might want to just quote Ephesians 4.31, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, quarreling, and slander be put away from you along with all hatred. When you're tempted to yell at your parents for being overbearing or unfair, you might quote Ephesians 6, 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And when tempted to get in your truck and tear up some field after your wife and kids have driven you crazy about going outside and pulling them in the snow, you might quote uh, Ephesians 6, 5. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. I'm kidding about that one, of course. Look, the, the point is, is that quoting Scripture works. Learn the scriptures in a stressful moment of testing or even during temptation. The scriptures will help you center your mind on what is right. Now, let me wrap this up with uh, just just three little applications from the scripture today. Please hear this. Please hear this and apply this. Number one, be comforted. God understands your weaknesses. He knows what it's like to have human weaknesses. Jesus experienced them. He does not require you to do something beyond your ability. That would be cruel, like playing with a cat in a laser a laser pointer. Have you ever done that? You could spend hours moving that laser, that red dot around the floor, and that cat will chase it, and you can run it into, into cabinets and furniture, and you just drive it crazy. That's funny, but it's cruel. It's cruel. God's not going to make you chase spiritual success if you cannot attain it. He's not cruel. He's not going to do that to you. He might make it difficult, but never impossible. He understands your weaknesses, and he wants you to rely on him and have victory over sin. He understands. Secondly, be vigilant. Be vigilant. Sorry, be vigilant. The devil is busy. The devil is a busy, busy person. 
If you think the devil's not busy trying to mess up your walk with Christ, you're, you're fooling yourself. Sometimes the devil's walking around like a lion, roaring and ready to pounce. He'll kill your spiritual life if you allow him to do so. And sometimes he's sneaking around undetected, trying to trip you up as well. Christian, you are a target. The whole church has a target on its back. And if you don't believe me that that the devil is busy targeting the church, listen, the the devil has been successful in perverting the mission of our own precious Southern Baptist Convention. I'm just going to be honest with you. The North American Mission Board has embraced the social gospel. It's using critical race theory, social justice to shape the presentation of the gospel. And the commandment of the Great Commission isn't enough to push Christians to share the gospel anymore. You must acknowledge and allow the guilt from innate racism and white privilege to drive you to share the gospel. And grace through faith isn't enough to save. A person must acknowledge what the North American Mission Board calls the great requirement in order to gain salvation. Christians must now attempt something to fix society to solidify their salvation. This is on their website. Go check it out. Our own Ethics and Religious Liberties Commission will not denounce abortion entirely. They say they're making steps. And they don't want to rule, uh, rule out making those steps to end abortion. And, and we know we must love the abortionist and, and those who receive abortions. But if they refuse to repent, that's a different story. Our own executive committee is overrun with religious politicians covering up scandalous events and, and improper financial allocations. Our own denomination president is an, an unrepented liar and a plagiarist, and he's not been called to account for his actions by the executive committee. The devil has duped him and other prominent SBC preachers to to use sermons prepared for them by a group called the Docent Group. And under the auspices that they don't have enough time to adequately study God's Word for themselves, they're allowing their sermons and their illustrations and their points to be prepared by this group. And they're shared and presented word for word in multiple choices. Look, if a preacher does not have time to study God's word, he should not be a preacher. Plain and simple. The the devil has has successfully tempted many churches. I mean, he's, he's tempted churches to accept forms of identity and sexuality that are in opposition to the word of God. And we, we do this in hopes of winning the loss. That is wrong. They, they justify tolerance of sin by only touting the love of God with no mention of holiness and wrath. Feel-good sermons are demanded by shallow converts and preachers are caving. The devil is alive. The devil is alive and working well inside Christian circles. Be vigilant. Know the truth. Resist the devil and his lies. And finally, be reading. God's word's yours. Be reading. God gave you His Word. The only thing that will protect you from the cunning temptations of the devil is God's Word. No amount of love or acceptance, none of that will keep you right. You need to know the truth of God's Word to make your paths straight. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. 
God wants his people, he wants his people to identify and acknowledge the truth of Psalm 119, 1 through 8. Listen to this. Blessed are those whose way are blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek after him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You were commanded, you have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all of your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. We are to identify and acknowledge and accept that truth. We have to know God's word. You you have to read God's word or, or you're a... You're just a sitting duck on a small pond, a small pond of of ridiculous religion. And you're surrounded by wolves and and hunters alike. And that religion will be worthless to protect you from the wolves, from the devil, from false teachers and preachers tempting you to go astray. You have to know God's word. When tempted to sin by by an evil desire, it's, it's the only thing that will help you overcome the temptation and make the right choice. It's God's word. Well, look, I have to stop there, but let me wrap it up this way. You will be tempted by lust of the flesh. If you are human living on the earth, you will be tempted by lust of the flesh. And if you say that temptation is not strong, you're a liar. It was strong for Jesus and it's going to be strong against you, but you can resist the devil. You can thwart his efforts and avoid temptation turning into sin by reading and knowing and quoting God's word. Jesus did that, and he lives in you. If you're having trouble with that, you just got to try harder. Ask him to help you. Rely on him. Be comforted. Be vigilant and be reading God's word. Well, let me pray for you. Father, I I thank you for those who are listening, and I hope this is an, an, an open open ear, open heart moment that they would receive this truth that lust of the flesh is a real, real temptation and it is a real sin if we give in to it. Father, help us to be stronger to fight this temptation. Help us to know your word and to spout your word when being tempted by the devil or our own evil desires. And we'll give, we'll give you glory for it, God. You are You are God. You are to be known by the world, and we want to make you known, and we want to give the right picture. So help us, God. Help us do this. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, that's it for today. Tune back in for the next podcast. If you uh, have a question or comment or you just want to get in touch with me, you can do so at Mike at FBC Clover, Mike at FBCClover.com, and I'll answer any, any question you might have. Well, until next week, have a great week, and remember that God is pro you. Thanks for listening to the Portable Pastor Podcast. Pastor Mike serves as pastor at the First Baptist Church in Clover, South Carolina. FBC Clover is a church that focuses on loving God, loving people, and making disciples. For more information about our church and our ministries, or to make an online donation, go to fbcclover.com or email us at fbcclover at gmail.com. Until next time, be blessed. And remember, God is pro-you.